Okay, so as we continue our study of evangelism, you may remember from last week that we looked at the importance of understanding who Jesus is. Uh, we looked at him being God in the flesh, the law-keeping or law-fulfilling Lord, the sin-bearing Savior, the resurrected and returning King, and the only way to God. And we talked about how important it is for us to understand the true identity of Jesus and to proclaim him to all as we have opportunity. So thinking about who Jesus is, this morning we want to think about now who are we in light of that. And we'll be looking at the true identity of the messengers of Jesus. Just as we looked at last week, the true identity of Jesus, we're going to look at the true identity of the messengers of Jesus, which is us, the church, the body of Christ. So it's not only the identity of Jesus that we need to get right, we need to make sure that we have our identity right as well. Okay, so as we think about that, let's start off by trying to give a somewhat simple definition for the term missionary. Okay, if you had to give maybe a single sentence definition for the term missionary, what would it be? Servant. Okay, definitely part of that. Okay, servant. Handling. One sent from God to deliver a message from God. Amen. Okay. One sent from God. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was good. That was very good. Yep. Okay, good. So you, you get that aspect. And the scripture kind of portrays this in a couple different ways, but essentially is saying the same thing as Diana Lynn just mentioned there. Okay, an ambassador for Christ, right? You see that verbiage being used. Um, as Diana Lynn mentions, one who proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, I think for most of us, when we hear the term missionary, we probably have thoughts of people in far-off countries and different cultures, right? And the question that we want to ask as we begin thinking about who we are is this. Is there any substantial difference between the calling of ordinary disciples versus international missionaries. Okay, is there any substantial difference there? And I think we can answer that two ways. In a specific sense, we can say that there is a difference, and the difference would be this. Full-time missionaries are often sent through their local church to cross particular cultural boundaries for the sake of the gospel. And many of, the, many of these missionaries raise support and consider the mission work their primary job, so to speak, their primary vocation. But when we think about this in the sense of just generally, okay, we would have to answer that question that no, there isn't any substantial difference between an international missionary and, I don't even want to say an ordinary disciple, but a national missionary, so to speak. Okay? International missionaries don't have a separate biblical commission, right? All Christians are sent people, right? No matter who we are, we're sent. And that's our main point in this session. Believers in the church, how we should see ourselves is as a missionary family. Okay, we're a missionary family. And the business of the missionary family, so to speak, is making and training disciples. Right? So that's a commission that comes out to all of us. Now certainly God does call some people to go off into distant lands and to bring the gospel there. But there's no difference between that. Right? So we want to make sure that we understand that for us. I was going to say that often that's right and I think that's a really good perspective to have on it but I mean that's it, it's, it's limiting because when we stop and think there may be people within right. this body that are not saved right they 
can be a mission field. We can have influence. We can share the truth. That's right. And a lot of people always say, you have to share the good news. I think you have to share the bad news and the good news. Yes. And you're right. And actually, actually going to be a lesson forthcoming where we're going to kind of get into the components of what it is that we actually say. So what we're going to do this morning is look at four components of a missionary family as we think about this concept of who we are as the body of Christ. So you can uh, follow along on your note sheet there. Uh, the first point is the basis of a missionary family. In other words, what, what constitutes us as a missionary family? What we see the scripture teaching is that God is building a new family, right? His church through the work of Christ. And the gospel is the means by which God brings us into this new family. So as we think about the basis of, of who we are, we recognize that we have much in common, right? We all have to begin with, and this isn't on your notes, but you can just jot this down if you want. But when we think about what we have in common, we all have the same general history. That is, we were all formally alienated, separated, and estranged from God. Right? That's the history that all of us share in common. So a few passages there that speak to this end. If I can have somebody read that for us. Colossians 1.21. Although you were formally alienated Hostile online, engaged in evil deeds. Okay, good. Very good. So, you who once were alienated, okay? So, church, uh, Paul speaking to the church at Colossae there, and hostile in mind, or enemies in your mind, doing evil deeds. Uh, says, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, somebody can read that for us. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Okay, so that's a really helpful passage when we think about our general history, how we all share that, and especially verse 3. We're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So there's just this blanket thrown over all mankind, right? Enemies of God, okay? And then Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Okay, Paul, go ahead. Remind them to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hating or hated by others and hating one another. Okay, very good. That's a great passage, isn't it? We're going to come back to this one, too, because this is really important when we talk about who are we reaching, right, and the disposition that we're to have towards unbelievers. Because we recognize ourselves, this is who we were. And this is all of us, right? Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Okay, so as we talked about last week, we're all descendants of Adam by nature. And with that comes a sinful nature. Now, that sinful nature, when we think about that, it was not manifested in each of our lives in all the same ways, right? right? It was displayed differently. We all chased after various idols. I love what, what's said here, slaves to various passions and pleasures, right? So what, what you were engaged in as a sinful person may not be what I was engaged in, but it was all sinful in the sight of God, right? <coughs> we, we all chased after these various idols, but listen, we all had the same starting point. Okay? We all had the same starting point. We may have branched out and chased after different things, but we all started in the same place, so to speak. And so we recognize as we look around that despite ethnic differences, social differences, age differences, whatever other differences there may be, we're far more alike than we are different, all having that same general history. But in conjunction with that, we all have the same experience of salvation, namely 
repentance and faith in Christ. One of the joys of hearing people's testimonies is you hear all these different things that went on in this person's life, but it all comes back to the same point as your testimony, right? God brought you to an understanding of who he was, who you were in light of him, and the beauty of his son and what he accomplished on our behalf, right? So we all have that same understanding, that, all, that, that same experience of salvation. Now, again, that may have looked differently for each one of us in the sense of the time of life, right? The situation surrounding our conversions and so on. But the Holy Spirit worked in each of our lives in the same way in that he granted to us repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. There was a time for each of us when God opened our eyes to see the error of our thinking of how we can be made right with God. And he granted us repentance to turn away from that and granted us faith to see that his son is the one mediator between God and man. And it is through him alone that we can be made right with God. Right? So that's the reality. We have that same history, that sinful history. But we all, as the body of Christ, have that same experience of salvation, repentance and faith in Jesus. Okay? We also have the same future. Okay? We have the same history. We have the same understanding of the gospel, the same experience of salvation. We also have the same future. Namely, where we're headed is the same for every one of us that are in Christ. The new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. Right? Where the kingdom of God is consummated, that is, it is brought to completion. Here's what Peter says here in 2 Peter 3, 13. <coughs> Somebody can read that for us. According to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Okay, so that's it, right? We're all in this same category here. And we're all waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Okay? We see similar comment made here in Revelation 21, verses 1 and 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Oh, man. Right? That just thrills you. Every time you read that, it's just like, oh, thank you, Lord, hallelujah. Hasten that day, right? And then one more passage here in Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21. Somebody can read that for us. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Okay, right? So our citizenship is in heaven, right? There was a transfer there of citizenship when God brought you to himself. So that's why the scriptures tell us now, what? We're aliens and strangers here on this earth, right? This isn't our home. We're foreigners here, right? But we have a mission while we're here on this earth. And then the glorious reality is this for every one of us. He's going to transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, right? You see that language picked up in Revelation 21 as well when it talks about no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death. And we long for that. Okay, And then finally, under this point of the basis of a missionary family, we have the same commissions. We have the same history. We have the same experience of salvation. We have the same future. And we have the same commission. right? And that commission is to make and train disciples. Coming back to a passage that we've looked at a couple of times already and that we'll continue to reference in this course here. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, if somebody can read that for us. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay. 
what encouragement that would have been, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Nothing is going to happen to you apart from the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever that may be, right? All authority has been given to him. There's, there's no competing rivalry with the Lord Jesus. He is marching through the earth through the Spirit of God as the gospel is proclaimed, and he's gathering his people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. Okay? So we have this same commission, and it's this. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said something very similar in Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47, if somebody can read that for us. <coughs> and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Okay, so there's, there's the starting point, right? And I'm going to probably show you a video, not today, but in the future, that it's kind of a, a nice little video that shows you where the gospel started and how it spread throughout the, the earth. Uh, it's really helpful to see 2,000 years of the gospel moving. Okay, So that's the reality of it, that this gospel should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, Okay, beginning from Jerusalem. There's the starting point, and then it spreads out, and at some point in time... It came to you, right? So here's this gospel spreading all throughout the earth. And there was that day when it came to you. And God gave you grace to understand it and to repent and believe it. So it's, it's sweeping through the world, right? And we're all on that mission. Now that we've been recipients of that message, we're now called to be proclaimers of that which we have received, okay? First uh, Peter 2, a passage actually next week that we're going to come back and look at in more detail. But here's what Peter says. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't that a great passage? Here's who you are, and here's what you're to do. Right? Notice that transition word there. That. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then one more passage here out of Colossians chapter 3. Somebody can read that for us. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, Meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Okay, good. So that, that passage in 1 Peter 2, that you may proclaim the excellencies, when you look at the context there, that's dealing more with bringing the gospel to the unbelievers. So that's the, that's the making disciples, right? Evangelism is that first step. In making a disciple, they have to repent and believe before they become a disciple. Once a person becomes a disciple, now we see the mandate from our Lord training them, right? Or teaching them. And this is that aspect. This is the fellowship of the saints where we're encouraging one another, teaching one another, admonishing one another, right? And helping one another grow into the mission or into the image of our Lord. So we looked back there at Luke 24. The mission begins there in Jerusalem. It starts to spread from there, and it continues to sweep through the world until all the elect of God are gathered together. And listen, we have a part in that, right? We have a part in that. We have this little lampstand here in Orlando from which we go into our surrounding communities and as the Lord wills farther, bringing 
the good news that sinful people can be made right with a holy God. Right? That's the mission that we have been given. So that's the basis of who we are. And like I said, next week we're going to deal more with 1 Peter 2 and look at that a little more extensively to flesh that out. Okay, before we move on to the next point there, any comments or questions? Any other passages that you thought of maybe? Okay, well, if you do think of something, feel free to share, okay? All right, let's take a look at the next part here. So we see the basis of a missionary family, and then secondly, the enemy of a missionary family, okay? The enemy of a missionary family. We have this deadly enemy, and this, the deadly enemy of the missionary family is selfishness. Now, to understand this enemy, we have to think of what is the antithesis of, or the opposite of, selfishness. When we think about the heart of the gospel, the heart of the gospel is what? Selfless love, right? That is so clearly displayed in what Jesus accomplished for us, that he gave himself away for us. I love this passage in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. Right? Man, there's much shame associated with dying on a cross. Right? I mean, it was just everybody's walking by seeing you. Oh, how shameful it is that you're, look, look at what a criminal you are, that you would deserve such things. And yet, here's, here's Jesus. He despises the shame. In other words, what he's saying is, he's not caring about what other people think about that. He's caring about what his father thinks about that. And the joy that was set before him, which I believe as we look at Scripture totally, it's really twofold in accomplishing the father's will and gathering all of his people to himself. The joy that sustains him is completing his Father's will and knowing that this will be sufficient in order to bring his people into his kingdom. So Jesus despises the shame, right? I think about how often as Christians we get fearful at times of speaking with others because of what they might think about us, right? There's some shame. It's like, oh, you know, they're going to think I'm probably really weird and, right? But when we let the Spirit of Christ govern us and rule us, right, our affections are set on doing our Father's will and bringing the gospel to that person, right? Bringing the gospel to that person. Listen, you're not going to be ashamed on the last day of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody. Right? You're giving them the very thing that they need most. And listen, that's why there's such a war. I mean, the spiritual warfare that goes on when you think about sharing the gospel and your heart right, just ripping through your chest, right? You get, you're getting nervous and things of that nature. I mean, there is warfare going on here, but we have to, and we're, we're going to kind of get into this, but bathe our hearts in the gospel and in what Jesus has accomplished and allow that to govern us as we go to speak with people. Right? Okay, George. And we consider joy any persecution we might be feeling, or experiencing. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Um, so, so Jesus kind of, uh, or, or Paul, when he writes his letter to the Philippians, he paints this model for them, right? In Philippians two, verses three through eight, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then what's the basis upon which Paul gives that command? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And now, so, so Paul uses Jesus as the model here now, right? For this doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit or not only looking out to your own interests, not caring about others. 
He shows Jesus and he says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That goes to what Jay was talking about earlier. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And then here it is. Here's where the shame is associated. Even death on a cross. Wow. That's the basis. Here's, here's Jesus. Here's what he accomplished. So therefore, have that mind among yourselves. Right? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Don't, don't esteem yourself. Right? Look out for Look out for others. So the enemy of living like Jesus, the enemy of evangelism, is selfishness. And let's talk about that for a minute. How have you seen that reality to be true in your own life? How have you seen your own selfishness or your own desire for self-preservation or your own desire to uphold your reputation inhibit you from evangelism. Throw out some examples that you can think of in your own life. Everybody's got this conversation. Uh, Maybe it's just me. <laughs> the very fact that I would back down because I know that in saying this, they may think this of me. Right. That alone, that's an example of me selfishly thinking of myself. Right, right. Um, rather than thinking of Christ or the love of this man or woman that I'm speaking to who's made in the image of God. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very good. Yeah, I can think about my own life, right, and opportunities that I've, that I've had and that I've caved into fear of some type, and I've let that pass by, and I examine, why, why didn't I? And almost always it comes back to self-preservation of some type. Right? Well, and I think the way yeah. we justify that a lot of times in our own head is we will say to ourselves, but they see how I live. Right. So, so, so my testimony is the works that I do and how I live yeah. my life. But, but yet, yeah, it goes back to Romans 10 where Paul says, how can they hear if no yeah. one speaks to them? Yeah, and that's so right. And so there is that importance of we have to yeah. teach and preach the word. That's right. Not just live it. Exactly, right. exactly so. Twofold. Yeah, I, I love what... And I justify it in my own mind a lot of times. Yeah. Like, well, I live right in front of them. Yeah. That's right. And that's an important part of it, right? There's a distinction there, but you're exactly right. We often use that as an excuse. I, I just think of the example that you shared earlier about your, your coworker, Kelby, right? It could have been easy just to kind of step back and just be like, oh, she saw the joy that was in me. That's sufficient in proclaiming the gospel, not having any idea why you're living the way you are or why your countenance is the way that it is, right? So our lives undoubtedly should be a proclamation of the gospel, but that can't be it. We've got to open our mouths. Right? Our lips and lives need to go, need to go hand in hand um, in that. So good point. Will, did you want to yeah, ask? Uh, I was just thinking, going on with what everyone was, was, was saying, um, I notice sometimes I prolong the uh, you know, bringing out the gospel and explaining the gospel to somebody. And I'll do that, let's just say, at work. Um, I, I try to set it up in a way that... Uh, I'll build a relationship with this person. I think that's good in, in many ways, but I'm building a relationship, and next thing you know, three years later, I build a relationship, and I still never got to the point where I proclaimed the gospel. Right. But I think it, it, the, the root problem is this self-preservation that you were saying, that you're right. just trying to set it up to where you don't get rejected. You set it up to where right. uh, you, know, you don't break the friendship. Right. Uh, but you, know, you never get to the gospel, in a sense, right. and I think that's part of that simple aspect that wants to preserve himself. Yeah, yeah. Good. I remember um, yeah. hearing um, Ray Comfort saying that um, people use the excuse of developing a relationship, and, and like he just mentioned, that sometimes it takes forever, and then you still don't. But he says he, he puts a developing relationship quickly. Start right. with the natural. Right. With Jesus, with the woman at the well, he right. asked for questions, or he asked for a favor. You know? right. So you develop, it. in other words, even if it's a quick and small relationship, but they yeah. just develop something where you have that open door. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. We have various levels of relationships with mm -hmm. people in our lives. Some they're really long term relations. Others they're very a very short term. And what our mindset should be in that is, Lord, help me to do all that I can mm -hmm. to bring the gospel to this 
to this person. Um, yeah, so, so that, that, that's good. All those things, right, have to go uh, hand in hand. So fear of man is really a, a great inhibitor to the proclamation of, of the gospel. Um, Tim Challies had a quote um, yesterday that I put up on my, I, I shared his, his link um, on my Facebook. Let me just pull it up real quick since we're talking about it, because I think it's when we, we talk about this aspect of, of fear. Um, let me see what he said here. A quick comment. Yeah, go ahead. I think of like what does light have to have with darkness? Yeah. And yeah. so the relationships that we want to build, yeah. there's going to be a big wall in between. Right. They're not safe. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, there's only so many things that, uh, there's only so much common ground, you know, we can find there uh, because of the distinction of lifestyle now, right? The things that they're going to want to be engaged in. You know, you try to find those points if, you know, there's some commonality, going out and grabbing a meal together while everybody's eating, you know, so on and so forth. So you try to find those, but you're, you're certainly right. There's going to be a lot of distinction there as well. So here's this, here's this quote that Challies put up. It was by Spurgeon where he said, The fear of God is the death of every other fear. Like a mighty lion, it chases all other fears before it. And that was a good uh, a good, a good point there. Okay, so when when we think about this aspect of the enemy of a missionary family, when we think about when we don't obey God's word and serve others, when when we don't love our neighbors as ourselves, right? So love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. How 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 can I love my neighbor as myself? What did I need most? The gospel, right? So let me. That's, that's the main thing you want your neighbor to have, right, above, above all things. Um, but we, we have to understand there that the issue there is not primarily a lack of love for our neighbor, but in some capacity, it's a lack of love for God, right? Uh, Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, okay? So the display of that... And when we, when we don't obey the commandments of God, we're sin, right? All sin, including not obeying the Great Commission, pivots on not loving God as we desire to. So we, we should not think, however, that we don't love. We do love. The problem is it's self-love. We love ourselves more. <laughs> We put ourselves in God's place and obey our word, and we're more concerned about our reputation than his reputation, and we seek to maintain our own honor rather than his, right? So we want to make sure that we uh, see that correctly and understand that, that selfishness, and we're going to talk more about, all right, how do we, how do we slay that, right? How do we slay that selfishness that is in every one of us, right? I mean, let's be honest. It's a lot more prevalent, I think, in all of our lives than we, than we want it to be. But there is an antidote to it, okay? There is a way to overcome, overcome that, which goes into the, the third point here on your, on your outline. And that is the sustainment of a missionary family, the sustainment of a missionary family. In other words, how is, the, how is this missionary family that we are sustained? How do we fight this enemy? Well, again, selfishness is the enemy of mission service. And so therefore, the opposite of that is loving service or selflessness is the heart of it. And this doesn't just happen automatically, right? Our flesh wants to remain on the throne. And you serve me. This is about me, right? That's what our flesh is, is saying. So how do we, as Paul says in Romans 8, how do we, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh? Okay? This happens when we're feeding on God's word and we're drinking in that truth, when we're having our minds renewed, and specifically, 
We're having our minds reshaped by the gospel day after day. A very practical way that we can help to defeat this enemy within us is to meditate on the gospel daily. And so let's, let's, let's commit to doing something. You don't have to commit to this, but I'm going to commit. If you want to join me, you can. Um, but let's take five minutes intentionally, five minutes every day. Maybe it's on a drive or something like that, where you're just thinking about what God has done for you in Christ to redeem you. You just you set your mind on that. You know, oftentimes what I like to do is, you know, we got about a 15, 20-minute ride over to church, and I'll just preach the gospel to myself as I'm driving out loud. I'm just reminding myself afresh of what God has done for me in Christ. And you, you know what happens? Man, joy. <laughs> I'm like, wow. You know, it's something that I know, but I've got to be reminded of it every single day. And it puts my heart in the right place. I don't do that every day, but I want to. It, that this doing this will strengthen your heart, it, your heart. It will keep your awe of God fresh. And it will keep your love for him fervent. And that's what we want, don't we? Amen. Be thinking about God and all that he's done for us in Christ and this love that he has displayed for us. It, it will compel us to lay aside our fleshly desire for self-preservation. And it will make us selfless, other-centered people, as we should be in this word who will care more about God and others than we do ourselves. That, that's a spirit-wrought thing, right? To care more about God and others has to come from the spirit because our flesh kicks against that. And all of us desperately need it. And so meditating on the gospel is, very, is a very effective way of slaying the enemy of evangelism, which is selfishness. Now, the priority and pattern of the New Testament is the truth that God's people are not here for themselves, but to give of themselves, right? And this include, includes a host of different categories. How we relate to one another in the body of Christ, right? We looked at it in Philippians 2, we're esteeming each other better than we are ourselves. But it certainly includes evangelism. When we believe the gospel, we want to tell people the gospel, right? And when we remind ourselves of it, right, there's a sweetness that comes as you remind yourselves of the truths that you know, right? And you're like, I got to get out of the car and tell somebody, <laughs> right? I want to go bring this good news to somebody. And listen, it's not just when we first believe the gospel. We need to remind ourselves of it continually that it would be fresh on our hearts and fresh on our lips. And in this way, we will sustain our evangelism as we contemplate what God has done for us in Christ. And by God's grace, he'll give us the ability to go and bring the word of life to people and we'll conduct our lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. There's this great passage in Acts 20 um, where, where Paul, you have Paul giving his final words to the elders at Ephesus and he says this to them, and, and how I pray, I just, you know, reading through it again, I'm like, man, just burn this truth into my heart, Lord. And I, I love this, this passage here. Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24. If somebody can read that for us. Now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Isn't that awesome? I, that's astounding to me. That's just counter-human right there, for Paul to continue to move on. All right, Paul, when you get to this city, imprisonment and afflictions. When you get to that city, imprisonment and afflictions. It was just like, boom, boom, boom. And then here, so you ask yourself, okay, what is compelling this man to do this? Right? God says, okay, um, let's go over into Sanford. And listen, when you get there, 
you're going to be locked up and you're going to be afflicted for the sake of the gospel. Like, oh, maybe that's not God's will. <laughs> what, so what, what sustained him? Verse 24, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. Wow. Man, just that, you know, you read that and you're like, oh God, please make that. Let me be so concerned about the glory of God and the good of those around me that I would just fade and not have this longing to preserve myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. And here's the ministry, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Hey, listen, whatever this costs me, here is my mission. It's to bring the gospel of the grace of God to others. So this, this missionary family that we are is shaped and sustained by our gospel identity. And we must always keep that at the forefront of all that we are and do. Okay? And you, you know from Paul's example in Philippians 1 where he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what's sustaining him. It's like, well, if I die there, I'm going to go be with the Lord. Is that a loss? No. Paul says, that's gain. Right? And that, that's the perspective we have. Then when I just want to um, say the balance. I know you know this because you've said it so many times. But sometimes for me, it helps me to remember the balance. <coughs> that I'm not trying to take care of myself because God's love, like in Ephesians, the verse that you love, that Paul knew the love of God for him. Yes. And to me, it's a matter of trusting that when I give my life away, which I'm very selfish, but when I give my life away, you know, to the gospel and, and, uh, and to Jesus first and the gospel, then I have to continue to remember that God's taking care of me. Yes. That it's a trust that God, I'm not out there giving it away and with nobody looking out for me. That's right. God's yeah. the one that's looking out yeah. for me. And the people in the body of Christ because he's given them gifts That's right. to look out for me. So it's not like I'm just laying down. Paul knew the height, depth, the width, and the yes. breadth of the love of God for him. Yes. And he knew that God loved him and God was taking care of him. That's right. Amen. You know, Absolutely. so I think for me that that helps me to not be as, self, as selfish. Yes. Is Amen. to continually remember it's not like... I'm, I'm not looking out for myself, but nobody else is either. Yes, that's right. Amen. Yeah. <coughs> Good point. George? Just a quick thought that uh, one moment of inconvenience for us compared to their eternity should be something that always should outweigh. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, no question about that. That should definitely, definitely drive us. So, okay, good, good thoughts there. All right, let's move on to this last point here with the few minutes that we have remaining. So the basis, enemy sustainment, and then last is the practice of a missionary family. The practice of a missionary family. Let's think about this. What changes would you make in your life if you were sent by God to a foreign country, given a job, a house, and the and the <coughs> mandate the mandate to be a missionary to those people. It's a thought provoking question, isn't it? How would you spend your time? How would you pray? What types of relationships would you pursue with those around you? How would you view your neighbors? How would you talk to the cashiers at the local supermarket where you were. What would you be listening for in your community? Right? Would you be far more intentional about bringing the gospel to that community than you currently are in the community in which God has you right now? I think all of us, if we're honest, we would have a heightened sense of gospel living if, if God called us to that, right? 
But listen, the reality is, and we know this, that we shouldn't, right? We shouldn't because God has already sent us as missionaries in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, right? Really, there should be no difference at all in our mindset regarding how we would live wherever it is that God has us. We recognize that wherever we are in this world, we're missionaries, wherever that may be, because we're foreigners no matter where we go, right? We trust that God has us at this moment right where he wants us, right? I love what Acts 17 says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods, so times, and the boundaries of their dwelling place, right? So God has you in this time, right? May 29th, 2016, living somewhere in the greater Orlando area, and he's placed you here for a purpose, right? So it's not, I'll become more evangelistic or more gospel-centered when I get into a different place. God has you right where he wants you to be a light for his glory. Jesus himself reinforces this truth as he he articulates that we, his people, are sent into the world as missionaries. John 20, 21, Jesus said to them, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. What a great testimony that is. Right? So as Christians, we often need to have our minds reoriented back to our basic identity and calling. When we think about that question, what if you were a missionary? That's not a hypothetical question, right? You are a missionary, sent by a missionary God who is gathering together his people from all over the world, and you have your part to play in that. So we must remember who we truly are and why God has us here even still. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, any final thoughts? I just wanted to... uh, I really appreciate um, the emphasis on understanding that, you know, evangelism and missions... Uh, begins where you are, you know, um, because I think sometimes within the Christianity, at least here in the States, is, you know, you've got to be doing something extraordinary, you know, you've got to be, uh, you've got to go to the most hardened area where you have to, you know, and it can be, then they kind of make you feel bad if you're not doing that. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's where, you know, that's a good point, Lloyd. And that's why I love that passage in Acts 17 is, man, God has placed you the allotted period and the boundary of your dwelling place, right? During this time and in this place is where I have you. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Be that wherever you, wherever you are. All right, any other uh, thoughts? We're going to look more specifically next week at 1 Peter 2 and just kind of drive home this identity of, of who we are. Um, so that's what we'll be moving into for us. I was just thinking of one thing. Uh, I remember when we were in Japan for an extended time, we learned something, and it's not being apart from who you're talking to. It's not just handing out a track, it's not even just sharing the gospel. The fear we have is that I think we're afraid to let anyone into our life. Mm -hmm. When we found out when we would start bringing internationals into our home and into our family, where they felt comfortable and they could hear the word suddenly there was a change. Mm-hmm. And I think if we don't bring people into our lives, we're, we're not sharing. 
Look what just what you said about Jesus with the woman at the well. Yeah. He didn't keep her <coughs> right. completely open. And that's true in every single passage. Yeah. And not to our credit at all, but there was an older missionary that was in Japan and he said, I don't know what's happening with your family, but we've never seen so many people saved. Mm. And it wasn't anything more than taking people into your home. It's that the fellowship that you can create yeah. that presents the opportunity. And yeah. even if it's on the street or going house to house, yeah. you've got to open up yourself yes. and yeah. let the Lord speak through you. Yep. And I don't know if I explained myself well. Yeah, no, I, I understand. The fear is, I'm afraid of this person. What are they going to think of the shame? Just as you right, said. right, absolutely. Okay, all right, well, let's go ahead and, uh, and close out this morning. Father, we thank you so much for uh, this time that we've had to open your word together and to think more clearly about who we are as the body of Christ. Lord, help us, I pray, to think of the gospel to think of what you've done for us in your son. The love that you have displayed and may that compel us, constrain us, Lord God, to go into this world more frequently, to interact with people more frequently, Lord, and seeking to bring the gospel to them, Lord, and the many different ways that you would have us to to do that. Um, so, so help us and help us to stir up one another to love and good works, uh, that your name would be honored through that, Lord. Um, we, we ask for opportunities uh, to be able to bring the gospel uh, to those who are around us, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our families, Lord, whatever the case may be. Help us to remember that we are all missionaries in that sense. We are all sent by you, we have a message that we desire to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. So please help us uh, to that end. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.